This is recording number 10852 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 31, 2010. This is the fourth message in the series by Randy Bolt titled, Under Construction. This message is titled, Restoring Your Soul, Part 4. turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're continuing our study in this book that has to do with restoring your soul. The book of Nehemiah has to do with the rebuilding of the walls of the city of Jerusalem that had been torn down when the people of Israel had been taken captive by the Babylonians and then ultimately came under the the Persian Empire, which over, overturned the Babylonian Empire. Anyway, they had been taken uh, captive because they had forsaken God. And uh, uh, so their city had, was in ruins uh, under the Persians. A few of the Israelites were able to return to Jerusalem, and they, re, they rebuilt the temple and reestablished worship in that city. And that is analogous to the... Um, coming of grace to your life and your receiving Christ as your Savior and His forgiveness of sins that reestablishes um, the, your connection, your relationship with God Almighty at the spirit dimension, the core of your being. But for all, just about all of us, well, I will say all of us here, we know what it's like to have that relationship with God reestablished and yet, the walls that define who we are, our, the, the, the analog to our souls, our personality, our intellect, our emotions, and our will, kind of in, in disrepair because of the penetration of our adversaries. And the Lord wants to rebuild that. He wants to restore your soul. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 3 says, The Lord who is our shepherd, He restores my soul. And so we've been talking about this man, Nehemiah, who uh, was a cupbearer for the king of the Persians, a Jewish man who heard about the dreadful conditions of the people uh, in Jerusalem and uh, gained permission, uh, resources, authority to return to uh, Jerusalem and to help make sure that those walls could be reestablished. And in our very first session, we learned that the name Nehemiah, this is not a coincidence. The name Nehemiah means consolation or comfort of God. And Jesus said, uh, I've got to go. When he was preparing his disciples for the fact that he was going to go to the cross, he says, I've got to go. Because if I don't, the comforter. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, will not be able to come. And so he's talking about our need for a comforter to come onto the scene of the rubble and devastation and corruption of our own lives and his work of wanting to rebuild uh, our souls. And so we have this very special 
uh, picture that the, that the book of Nehemiah gives us of what the Lord wants to do in that regard. We're going to pick up at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Now, last week we actually went through uh, the, the end of the chapter of uh, uh, the second chapter of Nehemiah through verse 20. And I also told you that verse or chapter three talks about the construction beginning and how it describes, you know, one group of people taking on uh, this section of the wall from this place to this place. And then another group of people taking the next section of the wall from here to here and on and on through the whole of the third chapter. We uh, we get a description of everybody partnering together to uh, begin the reconstruction process. But we're going to go back uh, into chapter 2 and pick up a few things that we didn't really have time to deal with last week. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, Nehemiah is speaking, and this follows immediately follows his uh, reconnaissance tour. In the middle of the night, he goes out and kind of checks out what has to be done, how much damage has been done, what are we going to have to do to get this job accomplished. After that, he comes back and he gathers all the people. Then he said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat and uh, the Horonite... Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? And I've, we've already been introduced to Sanballat and Tobiah. They are the primary villains of this story. And they, uh, I've mentioned already that you have a villain in your story, too. Someone who wants to mock the fact that God could restore and rebuild your soul. And that's what's happening here. Now skip over to chapter 4, verse 1, um, because we get a little more insight into the strategy of Sanballat and Tobiah. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant. Now what follows hinges on that. So take note of this. Sanballat is furious that anybody would dare to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Your, your villain, your adversary, is furious today because God is rebuilding something in your life. And the ruin that he intended to, uh, to uh, keep you bound up in, he knows that there's a God in heaven at work to restore and rebuild. Sanballat was furious and indignant. And so what he does now is based on that. Follow with me. So he was furious, very indignant, and mocked the Jews. So he begins now to, to deride them, to make fun of them. And this is not just comedy night, okay? This is coming out of his fury, this mockery that he engages in now is motivated by his fury at what's happening. Verse 2. 
And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria. And by the way, he gathers an army to make a show of force. So he's mocking the people, but he's also saying, look, I've got some heavy artillery too. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? These are phrases of mockery that he hurls at the people of Israel. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break the thing down. Break down their stone wall. So Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captive, captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. (laughs) I like that. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. So at this point, all of these little groups of people that are working on sections of the wall, they're all connected now up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. So they're halfway there. Now, I want to talk to you about the strategy of the villain and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter. Let's talk about those two things. And, and when I talk about the strategy of the villain, I'm going to refer specifically to these five mocking accusations. All right? The first was, what are these feeble Jews doing? The villain in your story wants to say that same thing to you. And he does. He does constantly. He says, what, what are these feeble Jews doing? The word feeble means weak, worthless. You know, you've heard that voice before. God wouldn't care about you. Why would God care about you? Who are you? Some insignificant Worthless person. And embedded in that mocking lie that the adversary loves to breathe into your ear is a lie about God. That God doesn't care about you. That's not true. That's not true. You worthless person. God doesn't care about you. And every form of temptation that that comes your way is going to have at its base a lie about God. When you buy the lie, you begin to expose your soul to the penetration of the adversary. That's how this all happens. And I want you to note that it's your will, it's your will that is the hinge of your soul's gates. Your will is that part of you that makes choices and decides. It's part of your soul. And when it's functioning properly, it keeps the gates closed to things that shouldn't have access to your soul and open to things that should. But there's always a tempt, ongoingly, there will be a temptation uh, that's based on a lie about God presented to you, enticing you to open the gate to the wrong thing. But your will is the hinge of the gates to your soul. 
And when this lie comes, you're worthless. God doesn't care about you. If you buy that, you may find yourselves deciding to open the gate to anything that you think will give you a sense of value. I've seen it over and over and over again. Things like becoming uh, an object of sexual desire. Things like drivenness to be the best, to be successful. Opening the door to things that you think in your desperation might make you feel valuable to somebody or to something. And you don't even realize how much corruption you're inviting into your soul. The second one of these um, mocking statements was, will they fortify themselves? Do you, and, and this is really the language there. Do they think we're going to leave them alone to build this wall? Do they think, actually think that we're, we're going to just stand by and let them build this wall? And the, what's being communicated is you are vulnerable. And the lie about God that's embedded in that is God won't protect you. I, I, I have seen this so often, especially with people who have experienced great trauma in their lives. You know, they've seen a you know, tragic death of someone or uh, they've been violated or abused in some way. Um, and by the way, the, the devil will arrange for these things. Because then he can point that and he say, see, God, God won't protect you. You're on your own. And there's a fear that kind of begins to, to capture you. And you think, I've got to do something to protect myself. And you will find yourselves opening the door to that which you think will offer you security. Anything you think will offer you security. But there's an intrusion of the adversary that, that comes in through that door. The third uh, mocking statement that we have is here is, will they offer sacrifices? Now, sacrifice uh, was uh, primarily offered as a way to understand the, 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 sacrif the Hebrew sacrificial system was given by God as a picture lesson, a way to understand that the sin of mankind is going to require the wages of sin is death. What we earn for sin is death, eternal separation from God. And the sacrificial system was an ongoing way of helping those people to begin to understand what the Messiah would do. He would be the ultimate and final sacrifice. He would pay the penalty for our sins so that sin no longer hovered over, clouded us, stopped, uh, cut off our relationship with God if we would receive the benefit of his sacrifice. And so... So what Sam Ballot here is saying is, are they going to, do they think that we're going to just stand by and let them offer these sacrifices? And, and in that is this uh, notion that there is no covering for you. You deserve to be ashamed. There's no covering for you. Look what you've done. There's no sacrifice that can cover what you have done, what you have, what you have, how you've disobeyed God and walked your own way. There's no covering for that. And the lie about God in that is that God won't truly forgive 
you. Maybe he'll let you into heaven, but he'll never, ever forget. Oh my gosh, it's such a lie. I, I've, I, I told you at least once in the course of this study that the Bible says that, that God separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says he has chosen to forget. The God of heaven who knows all that can be known has chosen to forget your sin. When you come to uh, embrace his gift of eternal life in his son, Jesus, he forgets. He's chosen to do that. But if we don't believe that, if we buy the lie, what ends up happening is that we'll open the gate to anything we think will allow us to atone for our failures. And you find people then who their, their whole life is trying to show that they're a good person, that they're better than what their reputation is. They're working hard to make sure that, you, you know, that they, uh, they look good. What a trap that is. What a waste of life that is to always be feeling like you, you have to somehow find some way to measure up and earn not only others' fa- uh, favors, but favor from God. There's two more. The fourth of these statements that the mocking statements that Sam Ballot hurls at the people is, will they complete it in a day? Do they think they're going to uh, get this wall up uh, in short order? And the... The embedded in that statement is you're not going to get you're not getting anywhere. Have any of you ever felt in your walk with God or in your life in general like you're, quote, quote, stuck? You're you're not going to this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You've put a few stones back in place. This isn't going to go anywhere. You are stuck. And the lie in that is that God God's left you to work this out alone. So if, if progress is petered out, that's where you are. Live with it. If you buy that, you'll find yourself opening the gate to anything you think will help you move forward, break through. And listen, there's a lot of temptation to, you know... I'll just do this or I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know, buy into this notion or this idea. I'll embrace this way of thinking. I'll change this about my life. Uh, none of those things are going to bring the progress that God wants to bring in your life and the recovery of your soul. Only he can do it and he can and will and wants to. The final of these accusations that Sanballat threw at them was, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? In other words, there's nothing left here to work with. We burned this city. The mortar was melted and the stones burned. And everywhere you look at the rubble, this is not, there's nothing here to work with. I have... I've heard this lie from the devil so many times. You're too far gone. God can't recover you. If you buy that lie, you will find yourself swinging the gate open to anything you think will offer any form of escape. Because, dear one, that's as hopeless as you can feel. 
I'm too far gone. That's as hopeless as a person can feel. And when you feel hopeless, all you're looking for is some measure of escape. And that vacuum will just suck in all kinds of um, bondage. But thank God, the comforter is on site. He's on site. And he's the one who says, in the face of this barrage of crud, so we built the wall. We built the wall. Now look back with me at verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in? How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside. He sidles up to you. And he does two things. He meets you where you are. Whatever state of disrepair, whatever state of corruption, whatever state of bondage you're in, he'll meet you there. You do not have to clean up your act first. That should be good news to some of you. Because there's so many people, I, I've heard this out of the lips of so many people. They say to me, you know what, I, I can't do this God thing right now, I'm too messed up. Give me a little time, I'll try to get things straightened up first, and then I'll, I'll see what I can do about, about God. It's so twisted. You don't need to clean up your act first. He meets you where you are. He's not ashamed of you. He doesn't come to, you know, bring guilt and, uh, you know, shove your, your issues into your face. He, he comes alongside and meets you where you are. And he identifies with us. He says, you see the distress that we are in? Let us build the wall. Second thing we see here about the comforter as opposed to the villain is he leads us into truth. He says that, it says here that he told them the king's words. And one of the most important parts about getting that stuff expelled out of your soul and the will work and negate in the right way again is the word of God. The word of God. Just soaking in it, getting it into your heart. It sets us free, John 8 says. It says that the the... We'll know the truth. You've heard this. You know, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. The things that bind and hold us and have gotten you know, grip on our lives in so many ways, the truth starts to break all that up and set us free. And it gives us hope. Um, in fact, let me turn to Romans chapter 15, verse 4. I want to read you a verse there. It says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. Whatever things were written before, that includes Nehemiah, the passage we're soaking in right now. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. 
And then finally, he gives us the will. He gives us the will. Remember I told you that the will is the gate of the hinges to your soul. And after hearing what Nehemiah had to say, when the people say these words, they are expressing a change in how they are managing the gate of their soul, a decision that they're making about their souls. They said, let us, this is not Nehemiah, this is the people, let us rise and build. Now listen to this from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We tend to skip the one part and we, we realize that it's, you know, God is the one who's going to do the work. But it's also um, God, God says here that he also gives us the will. You, are, you and I are not just sitting ducks. We are not just exposed to the whim of Sanballat and Tobiah. He has given us the will. He gives us the will. And I, that brings us to a decision point. I'm going to ask you to set your things aside and to stand with me. That brings us to a will point, a decision point. Perhaps, I'm not going to assume that this is true for everyone, but perhaps someone here today found some of those uh, mocking statements of Sanballat eerily, scarily familiar. And as you look back over your life, you've seen how you have opened the gate of your soul in response to those lies and have welcomed stuff in there that doesn't belong. It's hurting you, wounding you, corrupting you. Well, the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13 says that God, God the Holy Spirit, is there or here now on the site of your life to give you the will to close that door, to expel this stuff. And he is going to back you up. But you need to come to a decision. Spirit of God, let us build. Let us build. Let's take these stones Dear God, let's take these stones that are burned and discarded. Just, you know. Restore. Restore my life, my soul. 
fulfill the promise of Psalm 23. Lord, my shepherd, restore my soul.